0: Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World and Sports. Just a quick rundown of what I'm going to be speaking about today on the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Remember, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, make sure that you go ahead and you download, you subscribe, you rate, you review Wendell's World and Sports, W-E-N. D-E-L-L-S World and Sports. Make sure you go ahead and you do the right thing to keep this podcast going. So on the program today, I'm gonna be speaking about the NFL and I'm gonna be speaking about mainly Who's the best team in the NFC? Who's the best team in the AFC? After the New England Patriots did what they needed to do, is New England a true contender for the conference championship? Is Dallas a really strong contender for the championship in terms of being the number one seed in terms of that team that's going to be the best to come out of the NFC? What's going on with the Cleveland Browns in terms of Baker Mayfield at 45-7 shellacking? Is Baker Mayfield a franchise quarterback? Is Baker Mayfield a starting quarterback, Why is Baker Mayfield, getting so many chances to prove if he's going to be the guy that's going to be leading Cleveland to an opportunity to win conference and conference championships and Super Bowls. I will go ahead and I will get into all of that. The Kansas City football team, are they back? Are they here? Man, one victory against the Las Vegas Raiders and everybody is saying that all the troubles... About the Kansas City football team. It's all over. Patrick Mahomes is back to being Patrick Mahomes. We're going to forget about that defense that's been atrocious all year. We're going to forget about that suspect running game. All of a sudden, now the Kansas City football team has found the answers to the test, and now they're going to get back to where they were for the last uh, three years, which is a dynasty in the making. Is it that easy? Is it gonna be that easy? I don't know, but I will go ahead and I'll talk about it. I'm back, I'm back, Cam Newton once again. Man, is there a camera that Cam Newton doesn't wanna stick his face in front of? Scoring a touchdown, a one or three yard touchdown run, right? After J.P. Walker and the Carolina Panthers did all the work to go down there to get into a position where Cam Newton, 6'5", 240, still in good shape, can take the ball, 32 years old, run across the goal line with some nice blocking, and what does he do? Screw the 15-yard penalty, I don't give a damn, because why? It's all about Cam. It's all about me, me, me. Takes off his helmet and yells, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Who gives a flip there, Cam, if you're back or not? The Carolina Panthers in a tough AFC South division, which includes, I'm sorry, the defending Super Bowl champion. You ain't going nowhere, Cam. You couldn't even beat out a rookie for a starting position in the NFL. So I'm back, I'm back, I'm back means absolutely nothing in the big picture of what's happening. The Los Angeles Rams. My goodness gracious, what are we going to speak about with the Los Angeles Rams? You know I'm going to be speaking about, hey man, you've got two to three years to win a Super Bowl or to win Super Bowls. So let's get your act together. They were punk, they were beat up, they were physically abused by the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. This makes two games in a row now where physically the Los Angeles Rams alone, the offensive and defensive lines have been beat up, have been manhandled, have been punked. They're a bye week that's coming up for the Rams. So what are they going to do about it? They're still one game behind the Arizona Cardinals, man, but forget division titles, forget conference championships, forget Super Bowl appearances. With the acquisitions that Les Snead made, Vaughn Miller, Odell Beckham Jr., to begin the season, going ahead, offseason, getting Matthew Stafford and such. I don't give a damn about the ACL tear to Robert Woods. I don't give a damn about the uh, the fact that uh, Odell and Vaughn just got to the squad on Monday night with the first game that they played and were used very minimally, speaking about Odell Beckham Jr. Don't give a damn about all that. Really, don't even give a damn about the regular season. Make the playoffs, win the conference championship, then win the Super Bowl. Everything else would be a failure. Not even getting to the Super Bowl would be a major disappointment. That is, Those are the marching orders for the Los Angeles Rams. You have a couple of years to win a couple of Super Bowls. Get it done. So those are the things I'm going to be discussing about the college football. Hey, man, where are we going to be getting all of these high-profile coaches to be coaching at LSU and USC and Washington and such? Where are all these big-name college coaches which are going to be turning around these programs? Jimbo Fisher ain't going to LSU uh, Lincoln Riley ain't going to LSU, James Franklin going to USC, that's going to bring back the days of Pete Carroll, the days of John Robinson, the days of, uh, John McKay, the days of USC being a elite college football program, Matt Campbell, have you seen what he's doing at, at Iowa State this year, and a year when Iowa State was supposed to have his best team possible in school history, you see now what they're sitting at, 6-4, and four? So Matt Campbell is going to be the answer to those questions. A lot of things, a lot of questions concerning these hires, these potential hires to some of these elite programs. When you're speaking about USC, UC, um, LSU, some of the best college program throughout the history of college football where are they going to be going to get that coach which is going to be turning them around urban meyer is not going back to college football and even if he wanted to if i was usc or lsu i wouldn't take him anyway how about that huh how do you like to, how do you like them apples tart sweet or cooked when those rules in sports remember those things are going to be speaking about along with the COVID situation in the nba already rearing his ugly nasty head I'll be speaking about those things in my Georgetown Hoyas back on the winning side, 79-57 over American after that embarrassing performance against Dartmouth. Talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about the victory over American. I know I'm quite sure that you can't wait at the end of the podcast to hear me talk about that. So, again, Wendell's World in Sports. You go ahead, you download, you subscribe, you follow, you rate, review the most entertaining, unique, thought-provoking sports talks podcast that you can listen to. It's about time now. Gonna go ahead and I start you on this journey about what I'm gonna be speaking about. So let's go ahead, man. Let's go ahead and get this party started because right now I am ready to jam. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim, double clutch, no good, tip subscribe rate and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts and now from washington dc metropolitan area rip ruin and ready to rumble wendell wallace rip ruin ready to go rip Roaring and ready to go. Thank you so much. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Window Wallace. This is Windows World in Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. K-Possum, mi me amigos. Miyama, Window Wendell Wallace. Windows World in Sports. So glad that you could be w- with us. Good morning. Good to Abin. Windows World in Sports. Yours truly, Window Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom. Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konishiwa. Windows World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. As all Always before I get to what's happening in the NFL, before I talk about my Georgetown Hoyas at the end of the podcast, before I get into the COVID situation in the NBA and that fantastic performance by the Golden State Warriors over the Brooklyn Nets on Tuesday night, before I get into the coaching carousel of college football, before I get into all of that stuff that I'm going to be speaking about today on um, this podcast, I have to ask you the question, what's going on? How are you feeling? What's happening? Are you doing everything that needs to be done? Listening, learning. Shut up. Listening, learning, educating yourself from people of a different background than you. People who might love a different person than you. People who have a different uh, political affiliation than you. People who worship a different God than you. People of a different skin color than you. People of a different gender than you. Are you doing everything that needs to be done to educate yourself? So, the utopian society of dealing with folks, judging folks based on... Who they are as a human being, not by their race, not by their creed, not by their gender, not by who they love, not by what their political affiliation is, not by who their God is if they have one. All of those things that possibly we can kind of move away from and just judge people individually on who they are and nothing else. Are we doing everything that we can to make sure that our children? And their children and their children follow the path of true unity, harmony, respect for others, something that's eluded this generation, the generation before and the generation after. Are we going to let ignorance? Are we going to let hate? Are we going to let stupidity? Are we going to let privilege? Are we going to let discrimination? Are we going to let opposition? Are we going to let all of those things permeate into the younger generation? So they are going to continue this level of stupidity that we're on right now, this level of selfishness, this level of ignorance that we possess in our society right now or are we going to make that choice to go ahead and leave the world a better place for our great great grandchildren and their great great grandchildren and such the choice is yours i chose i choose even though i don't have any kids even though i'm not going to be leaving anything behind i choose to try to leave the world in a better place by taking myself and using myself as a vehicle for love peace unity change for those who wanted to be participating in it? Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, man, let's get right into this because there's a lot of things to talk about. You know, speaking about the NFL, first week ten chaos in the NFC. Man, after ten weeks, I did the same thing. Remember, I did the same thing a couple of a podcast ago, and if you don't remember, please go back and uh, take a look at the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can ever listen to, Wendell's World of Sports, and go ahead and speak about and listen to uh, my thoughts and feelings about the AFC in terms of who do you got, man? Who's supposed to be the leader? Who's supposed to be the elite? Who's supposed to be the team that's going to be uh, the favorite for, you know, winning that conference championship, possibly winning the Super Bowl? I did this for a couple of weeks concerning the AFC because... We thought we had more clarity in the NFC. We thought that, okay, we have the Buccaneers and we have uh, the L.A. Rams and with the Rams' acquisition of – uh, Vaughn Miller and others. We we thought that, okay, the Rams were going to make that move. And oh my goodness, they went ahead and they got themselves Odell Beckham for nothing, basically. And despite the fact that Robert Woods tore his ACL, that the upgrade in terms of the Rams offense was going to be even more with the acquisition of Eldo Beckham. So we talked about that. Of course, the defending champions, um, Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We talked about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers went all caring on us as his caringness was uh, revealed. And All this other stuff the Arizona Cardinals. We we, kind of had a distinct pecking order in terms of, okay, this is what's going to be happening. And we thought that, you know, when everything was all said and done that the NFC was going to be more talented, that the NFC had more Super Bowl contending champions than the AFC in terms of who we thought was going to be first, second, third, fourth, in terms of their chances of winning that NFC conference championship, then moving on to play in the Super Bowl. But After a couple of weeks, after a couple of losses, after a couple of disappointing performances, after, again, you know, what we saw on Sunday, if you were watching that uh, slobber knocker between the um, Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers, man, who who have you got? What are we talking about here? Because, again, most of the season has been a debate about who's the best team in the AFC. Started the season off by claiming that uh, Kansas City is still the best team in the conference and then, you know, getting on their... Road to Dynastyville after the Super Bowl disaster against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it was like, yeah, you know, going into the season, we thought that the uh, Kansas City football team was going to be the team that was going to be the best once the season started along with the AFC Buffalo and... Baltimore Cleveland after their strong showing last season they thought that uh, we thought that they were going to be making strides for improvements and being a true contenders Tennessee they were all in the ESPN powered top 10 rankings if you take a look at some of the rankings NFL.com cbs sports.com sporting yahoo Sports.com. you take a look at all of those rankings you would see that at the beginning of the season that yes, the power rankings AFC might have had a little bit more power than the NFC when we spoke about Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland, Tennessee, and such. After five weeks in the conference, Baltimore was somewhere around number seven. Cleveland was still ranked number six with a three and one record. Vegas topped, uh, cracked the top ten with a three and one record. Buffalo was considered the best team in the league at that time at three and one, despite. The fact that uh, you know you had Arizona going to the Rams and beating them 37 to 20 after the Rams had gone ahead the week before and beat Tampa Bay, for giving them their first loss of the season at the time. Uh, week five, Kansas City was still teetering around the top ten. They were two and two, and that's where the questions begin to kind of start formulating in terms of man, what's up with 10, what's up with the Kansas City man? Their defense is terrible. Is this a Super Bowl hangover? What's happening with that? They were two and two and ranked number 11. Tennessee was just coming off a spat where they had lost to the New York Jets. Let like Mac Wilson look like the greatest Jets since Joe Namath. They were somewhere around 18 at 2-2. Two and two. New England was 1-3 and, and was ranked number 20, and people were having the argument of, oh, see, I told you, I told you. I told you, Tom Brady, was the reason why uh, um, New England had that dynasty of this, that, and the other. Move off, rewind, excuse me, fast forward for another five weeks, you know, it was, It was. you take a look now, after 10 weeks, teams in the AFC, Tennessee is now ranked number two behind Green Bay in most power rankings, um, Buffalo is six to three, starting to be ranked around number five or number six after blowing up the Jets 45 to 17, Kansas City, second segment, I'm going to be speaking about this because I want to ask you this question now because it's like, after all the heartache after all of the hand wringing after all of the pacing the floors after all the sleepless nights after all of the head scratching after all of the things about kansas city is the dynasty over what's going to be happening what's going to be the effect of a mediocre season especially offensively with the kansas city football team how is that going to um affect the head coaching chances of Eric Bieniemy, who should have gotten a head coaching job years ago what does it mean now the defense is horrible the defense is terrible what does it mean now for Kansas City damn man you realize when everything is all flipping, and said and done after all of that nonsense after all of that bullshit AFC West Kansas City number one now everything is right with the world after one game after one game it was depressive. Yeah, it reminded us of the Kansas City from 2018 to 2020. No doubt about it, but wow, you're just going to uh, completely forget about the shellacking they took from the uh, Tennessee Titans. You're going to be speaking about some of the other games that they had where they didn't look good at all, and all of a sudden you're going to say that's all past history and now after one game? How do we know that Las Vegas, I mean, they've dealt a lot. Their last two first-round draft picks, they're no longer on the team. You had the whole John Gruden situation. You had Henry Schrug situation. I mean, Bad night at the office, without question, on that Sunday night football game with the Las Vegas Raiders. Every team, with the exception of the 2008 New England Patriots and 1972 Miami Dolphins, has faced a weekend or has faced a Sunday or Monday like this, where, hey man, they just stink. 17 game season, first year 17 game season, um, but before that 16 game season, you're not going to uh, you're not going to play your utmost best every single time so was this a season or was this a situation on sunday with las vegas just having one of those nights losing 41 14 or are we sitting up here talking about hey yeah kansas city we're finally back now all of a sudden, we said you know they finally regained the answer to the test patrick mahomes had been patrick mahomes again he must have gotten that patrick price from jake from state farm and now he's you know going back to what he was before one game one game and we do remember how putrid the Las Vegas defense was last season One game And all of a sudden we're putting it there I'm going to get to that a little bit later But they moved from the lower teens At one point in the season When you're speaking about the power rankings When they were at their lowest Some reputable football scribes And dot coms Had them like 18, 19 Now they're moving up somewhere around 7 and 9 One game One flipping game Baltimore dropped five or six spots to number 10 or number 12 after losing Thursday night at Miami. New England now has moved up to the lower teens. ESPN has them uh, somewhere between number nine or number eight, somewhere between eight and 12. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they were number 22 when you took a look at the power rankings. Cleveland, after that debacle, I don't know what the hell happened with Cleveland in terms of that 45 to uh, seven shellacking that they received from the New England Patriots out coached outplayed out motivated out everything when we're speaking about that game was it a situation where hey man it was just a horrible day at the office cleveland has finally bottomed out they were out with they, they were out uh, they were playing without kareem hunt they were playing without um, nicholas chubb because of injury and with chubb it was because of uh proven uh, 19 uh, restrictions protocols and such but uh you know it goes back now to the hey man what what's up with baker mayfield What's going on? We, we, he's under contract and he ain't going nowhere in terms of next season because Cleveland exercised that fifth-year op- option. But um, what do we make of this guy, man? What do we make of this cat? Because, you know, they're going to have to make a decision in terms of Baker Mayfield. Is we Are we going to pay him franchise money? Are we going to pay him solid starting money? What are we going to do here? The problem with Baker Mayfield, I'll see, and then I'll move back to the NFC in just a second, but I want to get this off my chest because I was watching some of that game on the red zone, and Mayfield was hurt again, and I think he completed 11 of 21 passes for 79 yards and threw another bad interception, and really, in the end zone, on one of the uh, plays, he should have had the uh, ball picked off uh, early on in the uh, first quarter, Mayfield and the Browns are in a precarious situation. When you're speaking about moving forward for, say, the next three or four years, five years, with Baker Mayfield at the helm, um, you know, being the number one pick, he has the opportunity to try multiple times to show the Browns' organizations and such that he can be that franchise quarterback, that he can be that strong starting quarterback, due to the fact that he he was drafted number one. And this wasn't a third-round pick. This wasn't a situation where, you know, this guy was a dark horse or this isn't a Drew Locke situation or this isn't a, one of those type of deals in terms of, you know, your draft status kind of kind of gives you the ability to have multiple opportunities or sometimes only one opportunity. Mayfield would have been this fourth-round guy or fifth-round guy who came in, replaced Tyrod Taylor, and he had a body of work, which he had the chances for him to show that he is the quarterback future starting quarterback for this team would be more limited because the investment because the uh the investment that Mayfield had with the Cleveland Browns organization as far as well he was only a third round pick he was only a fourth round pick the expectations then when we drafted him would not to be a future franchise quarterback when you're drafted number one When you're drafted number one in a draft class, which was considered to be a talented draft class, which includes the MVP of the league and Lamar Jackson, who was drafted about 30 spots after you, then for not just Baker Mayfield, but also for the organization, for the general manager, for the scouts, and for the coach, you have to show them that, hey, man, you know what? We didn't make a mistake. If you take a look at the success that uh, Lamar Jackson's had and you take a look at the success that some of the other uh, quarterbacks that had from that draft, it lends to say that, look, man, we have to go ahead and we have to make sure that every stone is, unt- over, is uh, overturned and every possibility is given to Baker Mayfield before we decide that, you know what, he's a bust or not. Third round pick, no big deal. If Drew Locke would have been drafted number one, you think Teddy Bridgewater would have came in and taken his job so quickly? If Mac Jones would have been drafted in the fourth round. you think that he would have gotten that job as starting quarterback over Cam Newton? Now, maybe a different situation, because Bill Belichick likes to buck the trend in terms of, hey, man, best man plays, and if we feel that's a fourth-round draft pick, fifth-round draft pick, or the number one player chosen, or we are a journeyman quarterback, the best player is going to play uh, moving forward. We don't give a damn what your draft status is. We don't give a damn what your resume was in college. We don't give a damn about how much money you're making. So... That analogy might be a little bit different, but you know, you take a look at some other situations where you see quarterbacks drafted lower in the draft, they don't get those same opportunities as Baker Mayfield. So moving forward with Mayfield, who I don't think because of just physical stature and physical natural quarterbacking talent abilities, I don't think that he's a quote-unquote franchise quarterback with a franchise quarterback of my definition being a top five, top t- uh, top six quarterback in the league, a guy to where you know you can take mediocre talent, pull it, put them around him, and that quarterback is going to be able to elevate that mediocre talent to a point where they are going to be strong conference championship contenders, that they are going to be able to win division championships, that they are going to be able to truly compete for uh, Super Bowl championships, that they're not going to have to have an elite top 10 type defense. They're not going to have like a super strong running game. The strongest point of that team on a team that's going to be vying for championships is going to be that quarterback. So I do think when I talk about franchise quarterback, I think of a Aaron Rodgers when he's healthy and doing a thing. I speak about now a Dak Prescott. I, I speak about those type of quarterbacks. With a starting quarterback, I think Baker Mayfield is a solid quarterback, starting quarterback. The problem is with just a good quarterback, that type of thing. The problem with that is you're going to need to have some other type of, you know, you're going to have to have someone from your skill position, whether it be wide receiver, whether it be running back, whether it be a strong defense, whatever it would be, we're going to have to have that unit, we're going to have to have that skill position be the best part of that team. It's not going to be The starting quarterback, that starting quarterback is going to need to have that strong defense. That starting quarterback is going to need that elite wide receiver. That starting quarterback is going to need that running game to get them going. Because more times than not, just a good starting quarterback is not going to be able to throw the ball 45, 50 times a game and be able to get you out of uh, traverse situations and lead you on the path of victory on a semi-regular basis baker mayfield is not that guy the question is because of where he was drafted because of the fact there really aren't any good quarterbacks coming into the uh, draft at least uh, this season what do you do moving forward three or four years down the road with baker mayfield so with the cleveland browns that's all i gotta say about that just a just a horrid performance i don't think they're as bad as they showed against uh new england so this is not a, you know, Kevin Stefanski, uh-oh, here we go, that we make, no, 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 no. It's not that type of podcast, but, uh, you know, it was a situation where it was glaring. And I think we also have, when we start speaking about the, the, the fervor and the, um, and the joyous uh, celebration of the New England Patriots and how good they are and how elite they are or how much of a contender they are for the championship, I also think that we have to... Uh, put into account the fact that they caught Cleveland on a very, very, very bad day. And when a team like the New England Patriots, who very rarely in the Bill Belichick era have bad days, um, especially when you're speaking about November, especially when you're speaking about later on in the season, when you catch that New England Patriots team uh, going into a Cleveland team, which is injured, which is not playing its best football Mayfield being injured, running back situation being the way it is, the Odell Beckham Jr. situation. Hey, man, it is what it is. Life is life. So it's not like because of those things that, you know, the league spotted Cleveland 14 points to start the ball game. You know, it was what it was. But I think Stefanski is a good enough coach to uh, go ahead and to uh, right that wrong and get them going in the right situation. So does this mean that uh, all of a sudden in a tight AFC North that uh, Cleveland's going to make that move? i don't i don't know about that but then you take a look at the quarterback situation in pittsburgh with uh roethlisberger being on the COVID list and there's some questions about whether he's going to be starting this upcoming uh, week they said that uh mike Tomlin said that the workload for or the game planning for roethlisberger this week is going to be light that the all indications point to mason rudolph being the starting quarterback again, we're set we, coming off the bye week. We don't know what kind of Cincinnati Bengals team we're going to be getting. We'll speak about again the Baltimore Ravens losing to the Miami Dolphins, what's going to be their mindset moving forward. So, all of these things still leave the door open for Cleveland to uh compete truly compete for that uh, divisional championship. But uh, they have to get their act together. Let's see if they well will. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wallace. so glad that you could be with us. So again, speaking about some of the chaos, speaking about some of the teams in the AFC, now to get back to my original point in terms of, hey man, what's going to be happening with the current chaos that's going on in the NFC? Interesting, 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 man. Results from week 10 from the contenders for the conference championships, for the conference championship, excuse me, the alleged conference favorites. Los Angeles Rams suffered their second loss in a row. The acquisition of Vaughn Miller, the acquisition of Odell Beckham Jr., unflippin' believable. Hey, man, guilty of charge. I was up there, you know, singing that song, so I'm not sitting up there talking about, ah, ha, 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 ha. So, wow, man, they were physically dominated, beat up, humbled by the um, San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football, 31 to 10, recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, so on Monday, 31-10 beatdown of the uh, Rams by the 49ers. San Francisco, fifth straight win over the Los Angeles Rams. Really doesn't make a difference. The Niners are 4-5. They lost four of their last five games. They were thoroughly embarrassed. They were thoroughly outplayed the week before against Arizona a game in which the Cardinals didn't have Kyler Murray or DeAndre Hopkins, so you're talking about the fervor, you're talking about the good times, you're speaking about the good vibes of the Rams acquiring Odell Beckham Jr., coming off uh, uh, acquiring Vaughn Miller. Vaughn Miller's first game, the Rams, at the very least, should have been, should have given a much better effort than they gave. Blame that on coaching John McVay to start off with, and then it trickles down to the players, so... The Rams played, once again, with their two newest acquisitions. Odell Beckham Jr., two catches, three targets, 18 yards. He only played 15, uh, 18 steps, so he had two ta- uh, excuse me, two catches for 18 yards and was targeted three times. And as I mentioned before, played in only 18 snaps. Recently acquired Ed Ru- rusher Vaughn Miller. Had three tackles, but didn't put any pressure on Garoppolo. We thought that, you know, with him lining up on a defense that included included Aaron Darnold and uh, how Darnold makes everything better for pass rushers for the first game. And again, it's only one game. Again, it's only one game. Again, it's only one game. For Miller really didn't make the impact many people were hoping. Mentioned before also, man, that, uh, you know, for the Rams, this is not about making the playoffs. For the Rams, this isn't about winning the division. For the Rams, this is not about making the conference championship this is for the Rams it's not even about winning the conference championship for the Rams I mean for the most part man let's go ahead and let's keep it real it's not even about being in the championship these two acquisitions Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. this was made for the Rams to win a Super Bowl not make it to the Super Bowl they've already done that Sean McVay has already made the Super Bowl with Jared Goff at the quarterback The acquisition of Matthew Stafford, the acquisition of Vaughn Miller, the acquisition of Odell Beckham Jr., the acquisition of those two guys, the last two guys that I just mentioned, Beckham and um, and Vaughn, those are supposed to be the guys that put the Rams over the top. So no, losing to Tampa Bay, unacceptable. No, losing to the Green Bay Packers, inexcusable. No, losing to the Arizona Cardinals, inexcusable. No, losing to the Dallas Cowboys, not happening in terms of, oh, well, no, 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 no. No, you have a team now that's going to be winning a Super Bowl this year or else it's going to be a disappointment. If Odell Beckham Jr., Vaughn Miller, whatever their problems are, whatever's happening, whatever false goods, whatever false narrative, whatever story that we thought that we were telling but we really were wrong and really we didn't read the uh, landscape right when it came to, you know, the impact and responsibility that these guys have for the 2021 season, playing for the Los Angeles Rams near the end of the season, then moving into the playoffs, Sorry, man, not happening. You have to win a championship, period. And as I mentioned before in my last podcast, the Rams have a two to three year window to win Super Bowls, not to make playoffs, not to be a good team, not to compete, not to do any of those things. It's to win Super Bowls, plural. Don't want to use the term super team, but still, this is a situation where, yeah, you need to win, I'm sorry, two to three years of this team being the way it is, with the talent that it has, the amount of years that it has, the age of the squad, two to three year window, you have to win at the very least one preferably two, so you know, it's, uh, it's a situation where, sorry man, all these other things going by the wayside all these other excuses need to go by the wayside, so look it's one game in terms of losing to the Rams with their team that they're going to be counted on. But is it trend starting? Because this is the second game in a row now where the Rams have been physically beat up and whooped up on. As you remember that Sunday night game against the Rams playing without Derrick Henry for the Titans, this was a situation where, hey man, you know, they were physically dominated, speaking about the Rams, especially up front. If you saw the pressure that the uh, front four for the Titans put on um, Matthew Stafford, the fact that Stafford had a horrible Jameis Winston early season Patrick Mahomes type of interception. The fact that now for two straight games that Mahomes has gone a pick six, has thrown a pick six. The fact that against um, the fact that um, against the Titans that he was sacked five times and pressured many more times, and you saw the physical domination that the offense of the San Francisco Forty ers put on the Rams. Is their weakness for los angeles is going to be the fact that on the offensive and defensive lines they're not cutting it so what are they going to be doing against a defensive front or a defense like the tampa bay buccaneers what are they going to be doing against a much improved green bay packers defense what are they going to be doing against michael parsons and the dallas cowboys in terms of uh, what they're putting down right now with defense if it's going to be a situation where the los angeles rams can be bullied The Los Angeles Rams can be beat up the Los Angeles Rams can lose the physicality battle then it doesn't matter what the acquisitions of uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Vaughn Miller mean you take a look at the game against the 49ers man the opening drive of the game against San Fran 49ers drove 93 yards 18 plays took over 11 minutes preview of what was going to be happening for the entire day for the entire game 18 plays 14 of them were running plays against aaron donald 14 of them were running plays and when san francisco third uh, scored on their uh, third touchdown to go up 21 7 in the second quarter that drove that drive 91 yards 11 plays that took over eight minutes so we're talking about two drives 184 yards 29 plays and taking almost 20 minutes none of the plays again were running plays so 23 of the 29 plays were running plays and it wasn't like a situation they were making five or six or seven yards per play i mean this is a situation where the Rams were being killed by a thousand cuts three yards here five yards here two yards here seven yards here eight yards here i mean you you would almost want to say a situation where hey man you know what go ahead and run the ball as a team go ahead and run the ball 20 times for 157 160 yards something like that rather than to go ahead and kill us like you did with that. Go ahead and get a 55-yard run. Go ahead and get a 45-yard run. Shit, even go ahead and get a 75-yard touchdown run. Do that to us. That's less demoralizing than this continuation of the drip, 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 leading now to a uh, downfall, leading now to a flood when you're speaking about five yards here, three yards here, four yards here, two yards here, eight yards here, three yards there per run. I mean, it keeps the offense off the field, keeps the offense out of rhythm, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a hard, hard way to uh, go ahead and do something. Basically, they're taking your manhood, and you as a defense for that team can really do nothing about it. San Francisco, for the game, ran the ball 44 times for 156 yards, had the ball for almost 40 minutes, went 9 of 16 on third and fourth down. It allowed Jimmy Garoppolo to go 15 for 19, 182 yards and two touchdowns. Completed 12 of 14 passes for 138 yards and two touchdowns on quick attempts. Situation where, hey, look, man, you've got the best defensive player in the game in uh, Aaron Darnold. Come on now. you got to do what you're the Rams. you got to do better than that. So, you know, again, if you're the Rams, you have to uh, make those adjustments. Because Tennessee punked them. Matthew Stafford. Through two interceptions um, against the Titans, back-to-back interception returns for touchdowns. So now you take a look at the NFC playoff picture. What do we go with now? Because now most people, the prognosticators, have it's Green Bay now. Well, man, you know Aaron Rodgers didn't look right. I'm sorry, I look like complete. I look like and sound like a complete another jackass when I'm sitting up there talking about. You know, maybe they should have. put in Jordan Love for a second game against Seattle because of the lead that the Packers have over the Bears and the Vikings, oh my, In the NFC North, you know, maybe if Aaron Rodgers was going to be leaving at the end of the season, all indications look like he is, that possibly you want to, uh, for the Green Bay Packer fans as such, if Jordan Love can have a better outing that he did against Kansas City the uh, first time that he started that, my goodness gracious, at least it can leave some positive vibes, at least it can leave, a you know, a, a hopefully a good uh, uh, thought in the mind of those in terms of hey man, you know what, at least the last time we saw Jordan Love, it was a positive situation, well shit, I was wrong on that one, hell with that, man Aaron Rodgers looked a lot rustier than I thought he was going to look, didn't look good at all in terms of, uh, you know the Aaron Rodgers that we all know and love so, it's a situation where, hey, are the Green Bay Packers the uh, best team in the NFC? Are they going to be number one now? How long are they going to be number one? Are we forgetting about the Arizona Cardinals, even though they got smashed, even though got, they got embarrassed uh, this week? They didn't play without uh, DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't play without Kyler Murray again. But Carolina came into their home field and uh, punked them. Cam Newton talking about, he's back, he's back. Cam, please, first of all, put your put your helmet back fucking on, okay? Okay. I know that you're back, wonderful, fantastic, but man, does it always have to be about you all the time? I mean, was there no doubt if something like that was going to be happening in terms of him scoring the touchdown or him having some type of impact on the game that somewhere, some way, he was going to find a camera and put his mug and put his ego and put his attention straight on it? That I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, and then taking off the, taking off his helmet, knowing damn well that's going to cost you 15 yards, but you're Cam Newton, so who gives a fuck, right? Because it's, it's all about Cam. It's all about Cam. So Cam is going to be the man for the Carolina Panthers moving forward. Carolina currently now the number seven seed in the um, playoff picture in the NFC. Not going to be happening, Cam. Remember, you lost your job to a rookie quarterback. Sorry, so you're back, you're back, you're back. Out of necessity, the fact that he's, Going to be a starting quarterback does nothing for me in terms of, wow, Carolina really has a chance because of Cam Newton. He made two plays in terms of a run, in terms of a short pass. That was it. This wasn't a situation where he took over from P.J. Walker and had a 2015 type of game. So please, Cam. For for God's sakes, can you, I don't know, maybe eschew skew the chance to get in front of a uh, camera and... Talk about me, 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 me for, I don't know, maybe 15 fucking seconds. It would be nice. So, look, Arizona still in that playoff picture. Shit, man, we're up here, you know, talking about uh, the Packers and the Cardinals and such. What about the Dallas Cowboys? Talking about coming back from a loss, from an embarrassment to the Denver Broncos, right? The beatdown that they put on the Atlanta Falcons, a team that many people after last week were saying, hey, do you think they have a chance and they might sneak into the, no, 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 43 to three. Why not saying that the Dallas Cowboys aren't the best team in the uh, NFC? Why are we always talking about the Rams and the Green Bay Packers? We're speaking about Dallas as being, you know, legit contenders, but we haven't put them to the top of the heap in terms of the team with the most juice, the team with the best chance to go ahead and be the NFC conference champions. Man, they looked impressive. Again, how good is Atlanta? We don't know. But again, after getting blown out by Denver and the way that they played against Denver, one thing that we can kind of take a look at to see that if this is going to be a trend or this is just going to be an aberration, it's how they um, come back from that defeat. And my goodness gracious, the Cowboys did just that. So, you know, we have Dallas, we have Arizona, we have Green Bay. Still speaking about Tampa Bay, I'll get to them in my next segment. So, you know, you take a look at the current division's leaders. Packers lead the NFC North by four and a half games over Minnesota. Arizona leads the NFC West by one game over the Rams. Dallas leads the NFC East by three and a half games over the Philadelphia Eagles. And Tampa leads the NFC South by one game over the who in the hell knows what's going to be happening with the quarterback situation, New Orleans Saints. So look, the number five seed right now with the Rams. They're remaining scheduled by this weekend. Maybe some. Maybe you'll be the good time for them to uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, take some time off to reflect. But they come back Thanksgiving Day. They're at Green Bay. Then they're Jacksonville. Then uh, at Arizona, Seattle, at Minnesota, at Baltimore, San Francisco. There's, so there's some games right there where, you know, it'll be another great uh, sign to see how good the – uh Los Angeles Rams are speaking thinking about that Thanksgiving game against Green Bay on the road, thinking about that road game against Arizona, thinking about that game against Baltimore, thinking about possibly the revenge game at home against San Francisco. Then you have Arizona again one game lead over the Rams again with the Rams. I'm not even concerned about the Rams winning a division title. Who gives a fuck? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't win their division last season. Who won the Super Bowl? Thank you very much. So, you know, when we're speaking about, you know, who's going to be winning the NFC, one of the reasons why NFC West, one of the reasons why I'm bringing this stuff up. Yeah, man, calling out the uh, names that the Los Angeles Rams are going to be facing, and then with Arizona, one-game lead for that division race in the uh, NFC West, they've got Seattle on the road, then at Chicago, then they play the Rams, then they go to Detroit then back home to Indy, on the road to Dallas, and then finish the season with Seattle. Topsy-turvy, one-game lead. I'm quite sure there's going to be multiple weeks near the end here where Ty, another team is going to be in the lead for the division title. So we're not going to exactly find out. I don't think there's going to be any real separation between Arizona and the Rams moving forward. Uh, To see who's going to win the uh, NFC West Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us So as we take a look at the playoff picture Green Bay's number one Arizona's number two, both have 8-2 Records, but because Arizona beat uh, Arizona lost to uh, Green Bay Um Green Bay holds that tiebreaker. So Green Bay, number one, Arizona, number two, the Cowboys, number three, Tampa, number four. Those are the current division leaders. Then we have a situation where the Rams are number five, one game behind the Cardinals. The number six seed at five and four being the New Orleans Saints. After beating Tampa, though, they've lost their last two games in the road to Atlanta and Tennessee, albeit against Tennessee in controversy close fashion. Their remaining schedule, if you're speaking about the Saints. They got, they're on the road this next week against the Eagles, then on to Buffalo at home, and then Dallas at home, and then they're on the road to the New York Jets, then to Tampa, then back home to Miami, playing another home game against Carolina, and then ending the season on the road at Atlanta. The big question for New Orleans, of course, is exactly who's going to be playing for New Orleans and will it make any difference when you're speaking about being at Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill now there was news reports coming out about you know a situation where hey look Sean Payton is probably going to go with the more traditional quarterback in terms of Trevor Simeon and then have a package made out for Taysom Hill the Jack of all trade type of players who missed the last two games because of a concussion so Look, Simeon, he is what he is. I mean, there was a reason why he was a third-string quarterback. Luckily, he's with a guy who, if he's going to be able to get the most out of his abilities and his um, talent, it's going to be Sean Payton. So far this season, through two games, the game against uh, Atlanta, and then, sorry, the game where he came in against the uh, Atlanta Falcons, where he, uh, Jameis Winston was injured, and then, you know, the preceding game, still all right, 59% as far as completion percentage, percentage is concerned. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. Has a pretty good feel for the offense, but without Alvin Kamara, who's going to be out for this upcoming game because of the injury, and of course missing Michael Thomas, who's been a disappointment, and he's missed the entire season because of injury. I, I really don't know the realistic chances, despite having a strong defense of the Saints being true contenders for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that uh, NFC South Division. Carolina Panthers number 7 at a 5-5 five and five clip. Half game ahead of Minnesota, San Francisco, Atlanta, and one game ahead of Philadelphia for that final playoff game. They've lost 5 of the last 6 games before that win in Arizona, and their remaining schedule, they're at uh, Miami before uh, their game against Washington. So it's Washington at Miami, Tampa Bay, at New Orleans, and then at Tampa Bay. So Sorry, Cam, you're back, you're back. You ain't going to be leading that team to the playoffs. Sorry to say that. So, you know, of course, the situation can, the Panthers make a playoff push with Cam Newton, at quarterback. Uh, Probably not. First game back with the Panthers since October or since uh, 2019. But, uh, you know, I think when everything is all all said and done, the main deal is going to be about the Rams. The main deal is going to be about the teams in the upper crust, shall we say, of making that playoffs. But focusing mainly on the Rams, hey, man, during that week, that bye week that you have coming up, man, do a little soul-searching because basically you've been punked the last two games. And despite all of the acquisitions that you made, is Super Bowl win or bust, do you have the temerity, do you have the physical being to go ahead and ultimately get the job done? I'm Greg Niles. And I am MC Smooth B. Together we are nice and smooth with pure blend harmony and just in case you wonder what we're wrong we'll say that we're sorry for keeping you waiting so long Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, a lot of things to get down on in this gut today in the world of sports as I'm recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, it's about an hour and a half before we start AEW Dynamite. Going to see what the fallout is from Hangman Page winning the World Championships belt over my man Kenny Omega. See what happens with MJF winning against Darby Allin. See what happens with uh, Cody Rhodes, if they're still going to boo the hell out of him. All of these good things that they're going to be watching tonight. And then maybe, I don't know, what we've got the Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks. Here's the situation, idiotic. Nonsense, violence, not a good policy, but here is the situation. The fact that um, we have, at the same time, out here on the West Coast, out here in Las Vegas, that uh, AEW and the Milwaukee-Los Angeles game is going to be playing. Now, if it was a situation where LeBron was going to be back and playing against Milwaukee, I definitely would have probably set aside AEW in terms of being the number one watch for me tonight. But since LeBron is out, I know the Bucks are struggling at uh, six and eight, but Chris Middleton is back. We're still waiting for Jeru Holiday. We're still waiting waiting for some other starters for the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, it's fourteen games into the season. The Milwaukee Bucks with the pressure of winning the championship off their shoulders, the pressure of trying to convince Giannis to to uh stay with the team that's already been taken care of with him signing That contract extension, that my fever, that my passion, that my enthusiasm, that my interest for watching this game, the Lakers and the Bucks—are is really done at the fever pitch. Now, uh, later on tonight, who do you got later on tonight for the uh, second game in the NBA? You have, hold on, let me check here before I get back and start talking about what's happening in the NFL and who's going to be doing what and who's the best team and... Who had the best chance to make the playoffs, those things, stuff just a carryover from the first segment in terms of what I was talking about, but before I go ahead and do that, what is going to be the, oh, the, oh man, the Wizards and the Hornets are playing, I'm not watching that game, okay, okay, but let me see here, what game is going to be on ESPN tonight, I think it's Dallas, right, isn't it Dallas and uh, Denver, or did they play already, I think they played already. Let me see here. I'm doing this. I'm tap dancing. I'm doing the jig. I'm doing my thing here. Let me see. We've got uh, Phoenix and Dallas. That's right. Phoenix, Dallas and Phoenix. So that's right. So I'm just sitting here and I'm getting back now to uh, recording this, trying to uh, get this done so I can watch a little AEW, then go ahead and watch some uh, some Phoenix in Dallas later on the night whilst taking sneak peeks at <clears throat> the Lakers in the Milwaukee Bucks, so there you go, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, alright, let's get back to the NFL, let's get back to uh, football talk, because I'm interested to see who is going to be the best team in the NFL, because answers throughout the season, I like to do the revisionist history because you know we have to realize that this is not 82 games like the NBA, this is not 162 games like the uh, like Major League Baseball, this is not 82 games like the NHL. This is only 17 games. So while we can speak about you know the Golden State Warriors 14, 15, 16 games in being the best team in the NBA, what the hell does that normally mean? What the hell does that mean? Especially when we get to the playoffs and the games are the best four out of the seven exactly what does that mean in november so early in the season that doesn't mean much but in football because of the lack of the number of games compared to the other professional sports league that yes four games in eight games in 12 games in 16 games in 17 games in we uh, take a closer look and we have a little bit more um of a of a uh, concern look when we're speaking about the teams when we're speaking about the placements when we're speaking about the rankings in terms of who's doing what, how good a team is and those type of things. So, you know, the answers throughout the season of who's the best team in the NFL, who's the playoff contender, who's the championship and those type of things, the answers started off with, for instance, Tampa able to defend the champion Tom Brady that said the other started the season by beating the Cowboys in the opener and because they were the Super Bowl champions because they brought everybody back because you know you had Gronkowski and you had uh, Chris Godwin resigned and Fournette coming back and all of these guys that uh, uh, came back from the Super Bowl team that preseason season uh, opening game they were the number one team as far as the power rankings are concerned. They lost that top spot to the LA Rams in week three of the season after they beat Tampa in LA and oh my goodness Matthew Stafford was going to be the, um, Matthew Stafford was the MVP and this is going to be awesome and this is before this is before those guys acquired some of the talent that they had. So, you know, week three into the season, Tampa was dethroned by the LA Rams, who held that spot for one week until the Arizona Cardinals came to town and beat the Rams soundly 37-20 at home. And all of a sudden now, Kyler Murray was the guy who was being spoke about with the MVP. And now all of a sudden, the 4-0 Arizona Cardinals had the best win of the season. And they were the team that was perceived to be the top team, the best team in the National Football League along with the Buffalo Bills who rebounded nicely from that opening season loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers where everybody had the Buffalo Bills as far as being the greatest threat to the Kansas City football team because Kansas City was considered a top two, top three team in the NFL after they uh, won the uh, conference championship. So, you know, that was the big hullabaloo and that was the big deal going into the first three, four-month of the season or first three weeks of the season first month of the season and so you had this back and forth with the number one spot between Arizona and Buffalo switching between the two spots depending upon what uh what uh, site you were watching whether it was NFL whether it was ESPN whether it was Yahoo whether it was whether it was CBS from week to week depending upon the the performance the number one seat was either the Arizona Cardinals or the Buffalo Bills and if it wasn't the Buffalo Bills who were number one, they were definitely number two. And if it wasn't the Arizona Cardinals who were number one, they were definitely number two. So those two teams for the next, I don't know, three or four weeks were jousting with each other in terms of who was supposed to be the best team in the NFL. But week eight, it was solely Arizona as the top team after after Buffalo lost to Tennessee on a game where, remember, where uh, Tannehill, excuse me, where um, Josh Allen tried to a uh, sneak on the fourth down Monday night football against Tennessee and he was stopped and oh my goodness gracious. And then Arizona was the perceived number one without question until week nine when Green Bay, the Packers took over. The number one spot after beating Arizona on Thursday night football when <laughs> when A.J. Green thought it was a run instead of a pass. Oops, my bad. And after Green Bay lost to Kansas City 13-7, to Arizona impressed a win on the road against San Francisco. Green Bay moved down the spot, and that opened the door for a team like Tennessee, a winning streak that they had despite losing to um, – despite losing Derrick Henry for the year. They went ahead, they go ahead, and they beat um, the uh, Los Angeles Rams, and all of a sudden they're the team now. That's the number one spot, so – you got the leading contenders for the number one spot in the playoffs, and the number one spot in the league, and the number one ranking. I know this isn't college football, but you know you have Tennessee and Dallas and Green Bay and Buffalo, Arizona, Tampa, the Rams. Despite all of this joculating and despite all of this jumping up and down and around like House of Pain, you still have those teams as the main title contenders moving into Week 11. But let's take a let's take a just a quick ganter. Let's just take a. Quick look here on Wendell's World of Sports the Podcast with George truly, Wendell Wallace. Like a team like the New England Patriots. Legit conference championship contender, shall we say now? Argument gained a lot of traction again after that performance against Cleveland. I spoke about, hey, you know what? Cleveland being down. Cleveland being injured. Cleveland, questions about, you know, Baker Mayfield moving forward, not having their two running backs, you know, facing all of those injuries. But, you know, hey, the fact that they did what they did beating them down like they did. Matt Jones all of a sudden now, 19 of 23, 198 yards through three touchdown passes. Oh my goodness gracious, it was a complete dominating performance by the Patriots. 31st downs, 9 of 7 on third down conversions, 452 total yards, average 7 yards per play, 5 and 6 in the red zone, control the ball for 34 minutes. And while Mac Jones was the quarterback, that offense scored six touchdowns in eight possessions. Dominations homes. And let's not just, you know, put the entire focus on the offense. Defense held Cleveland to 217 total yards, three of 15 on third and fourth down, and sacked quarterback, uh, Cleveland's quarterback, five times. So, it knocked out Baker Mayfield. So, hey, man, the Patriots have won four games in a row. They've won five out of the last six. In fact, their only loss during that span was an overtime overtime. Lost to Dallas on the road. So if you take a look at their four-game winning streak, where they beat the Jets, they beat the Chargers, Carolina, Cleveland, Chargers, Carolina being on the road, team is averaging 33 points per game. They scored 40 twice. Now, those 40 burgers were against the uh, Browns and the Jets, but still, you know, this team is clicking at the right time, and this team under Bill Belichick is getting better after a shaky early season something that even with the great Tom Brady at their quarterback sometimes it would happen for New England during the uh, season so remember that argument that was made about the first month of the season especially after week four remember when people were speaking about you know hey the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Tom Brady first year with the uh, Bucs go ahead win the Super Bowl New England struggles New England spends 167 million dollars in free agency they come back and still yet and still they open the season with a rookie quarterback. They lose 17-16 to the Miami Dolphins who at that time, the first week of the season, we thought that Miami was going to be true players for the playoff spot for playoff contention. Now we know better, but you know, um New England started off slowly and everybody was like, "Oh yeah, there you go. I told you. I told you Bill Belichick needed I told you Bill Belichick needed uh, uh, Tom Brady to do what he did. I told you in this ridiculous, idiotic, insane, inane argument about who was more responsible for the Patriots dynasty, was it Tom Brady or Bill Belichick, after that game we saw clear-cut evidence that yes, it truly was. Tom Brady because you take a look at him going to Tampa winning a Super Bowl you take a look at the season that uh, New England had with Bill Belichick as their coach last season with Tom Brady's not there now starting the season once again we see that Tampa is right up there as one of the top teams in the NFL while the Patriots are still struggling ha 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 I told you it was all about uh, Tom Brady and not Bill Belichick well Bill Belichick has um, you know done a masterful wonderful job. The Patriots are rolling. The Patriots outside of the Tennessee Titans are one of the best teams in the AFC. So can the Patriots now be considered real contenders for the conference championship with a rookie quarterback as their leader in terms of after starting QB? Can New England score enough points? Can the defense be good enough to win on the road in the playoff game against the possibility of playing a Buffalo, playing a Kansas City, playing a Tennessee, or playing a Baltimore? Are they good enough? Is Mac Jones ready? Now, the first test that we saw was this big, huge, humongous, this is the game of the century. Oh, my goodness gracious, the all the hype and all of the talk and all of the attention and all of the spotlight that was placed on the um, game with New England playing Tampa Bay, and Mac Jones did really well in that game, so that was the first evidence of, hey, you know what, maybe this kid is a little bit better than we thought. As far as mentally is concerned, being able to handle all those things, but you know, now we're speaking about the playoff situation. He'll have an entire season under his belt, which probably means you can go ahead and reference the fact that he's no longer a rookie when you go ahead and do that. But, you know, again, when you're speaking about going on the road and you're speaking about the inclement weather that's up in Baltimore, that's down in, uh, that's up in uh, uh, Buffalo and such, is Mac Jones as a quarterback good enough to battle the likes of Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, possibly? Can Jones be better, or hell, just good enough? Look, he. Did, I should. I should say, you don't have to be. I get the game plan can be. Look, Mac, we're not asking you to be better than Josh Allen. Okay, we're not asking you to out throw Patrick Mahomes. We're not asking you to uh, out. Uh, you know, out spectacular, Lamar Jackson. Just don't do anything dumb. Just don't do anything. Keep within yourself be that game managing quarterback that you've been all season and let our defense go ahead and do the work. Let's go ahead and let bill Belichick scheme and devise something that can uh, take Baltimore or take Tennessee or take Kansas city or take Buffalo out of their comfort zone. Let's go ahead and you just be part of that engine. Okay. You don't be the main force. You just go ahead and you just make sure that you don't crash the vehicle. Is Mac Jones good enough to do that? Or is it possible that, hey, look, man, because of the offense that they're playing, if if Kansas City is truly the offensive juggernaut that they've returned to be, that now they're back after that walloping of the Las Vegas Raiders, is Mac Jones going to be needed to do more? Like, look, man, you know, you got to come out of this comfort zone. I mean, we're all gushing about Mac Jones and this guy's awesome and this guy's wonderful. 19 of 23 for only 198 yards. And I shouldn't say only 198 yards, but I mean, we're, we're not speaking about, you know, Matt Jones all of a sudden, you know, putting on an, an offensive juggernaut uh, performance from a statistical standpoint. So is it going to be a possibility if there's going to come a time where they're going to be playing in a playoff game and they're going to have to score some points that maybe Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City are the real deal that the... Um, Buffalo Bills and Josh uh, Allen are going to be finding their mojo that Lamar's going to have one of those days like he had Monday night against the Indianapolis Colts to where Josh McDaniel and Bill Belichick are going to have to agree that, hey, man, it's time that we uh, take the reins off of Max Jones and start asking him to make some plays. Make some plays on a more consistent basis because if not, we're not going to be able to beat this team on this day during this playoff game. So it'll be interesting to see if that's going to happen. I still think that the ceiling... Despite the fact that New England is strong on defense and getting better on offense, I still think that the game management that Mac Jones, as far as his responsibilities are concerned, as far as being the quarterback for the New England Patriots, ultimately, if Kansas City is truly back to where they belong, and you're still speaking about an improving Buffalo Bills team, who have some inconsistencies on offense but putting 45 points up against the New York Jets maybe that was the homecoming game they need to get their mojo back to have sustained a more consistent offensive performance that was reminiscent more of uh, what they did uh, last season so maybe all those things will ultimately lead to look back Jones is just not ready for for uh, for him and his part of his career to uh, compete against a team like Kansas City a quarterback like Lamar Jackson at this point of his career on that day, we will we will find out. But that would be my only pump the brakes moments when it comes to New England. Yes, Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick. There's one there's there are things you don't do in life. You don't you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You you don't pull the mask off an of old lone ranger and you don't fuck around with Bill Belichick as a football coach. But I think with the limited um, talents that he has, as far as the, the totality of the offense is concerned, I think that uh, you know a team like a back on track Kansas City get their act together, Buffalo, mainly those two will uh, spell the demise for Kansas for excuse me for New England reaching the Super Bowl or winning the conference championship this season. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So. Now we're speaking about Mac Jones, right? How good is Mac Jones? Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac, Mac, Mac Jones. I heard the um, argument the other day on the podcast. Is he the steal of the draft? You know, Justin, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Ha 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 Nope, sorry. Truly the number one player should have been Mac Jones. That uh, San Francisco is going to rule the day that they didn't take Mac Jones and instead do all their draft capital for drafting uh, Trey Lance. That that was a huge mistake. If they're going to do all that, it should have been Mac Jones. Because you take if you take a look at the season overall for Jones, he's 17th in ESPN's quarterback ratings. He's 17th in... Yards per pass, he's 19th in touchdown to interception ratio. And you take a look at Lawrence, you take a look at Wilson, you take a look at Lance, you take a look at Justin Fields, no one else in the rookie quarterback class, even Davis Mills if you want to, no one in the rookie quarterback class is higher than 28th in any of those categories. So ha 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 ha, can we we slow down with that please? You you, you do realize that this was the best situation for Mac Jones to go to, right? You, You do realize that if Mac Jones was playing for Jacksonville, he wouldn't be putting up these type of numbers. You do realize that, right? You realize that the emphasis, you do realize that the responsibilities that Trevor Lawrence has to uh, try to make his team better or to try to make his team win are far greater than what Mac Jones is being presented. And if you take a look at the personnel of the Jacksonville Jaguars compared to the New England Patriots that is night and day, if you take a look at the coaching from the head coach and from the offensive coordinating side of Jacksonville in New England, you you understand that the Patriots are light years ahead in terms of, of, of that regard, right? So so you understand that? If you take a look, say, for instance, like Justin Fields, if you take a look at the offensive line of the Chicago Bears compared to the New England Patriots, that clear-cut winner would be the New England Patriots. If you take a look at the weapons that the Uh, Bears have compared to the New England Patriots that there's no doubt it was the winner are the New England Patriots you do realize that Justin Fields is asked to do a lot more for his team than Mac Jones Trey Lance we still don't know about Trey Lance is still a long-term project to where we won't be able to decide whether this was a good move or bad move for the San Francisco 49ers for multiple years so we we really can't go ahead and make that uh, conclusion in terms of Mac Jones was the steal of the draft? Mac Jones should have been drafted number one. Mac Jones should have been drafted ahead of Fields and Lance and Wilson and Lawrence. We, we you realize that if you put Trevor Lawrence on the New England Patriots, how much better his statistics would look? How much better? How much further along he would be as an NFL quarterback? Right? You do realize that someone like a Justin Fields, if he was on the New England Patriots, how you know his statistics would be so much better? How the Responsibilities of what he has to do to make his team win for his team to be competitive would be a lot different. You do realize that, right? Now, this is not to say that uh, Mac Jones cannot be a good quarterback. I think Mac Jones could be a solid franchise. I don't know, let me put it this way. I think Mac Jones can be a solid starting quarterback in this league. I just don't think that he has the physical tools to be a franchise quarterback. I think Trevor Lawrence has the physical tools and quarterbacking football. Talent to be not just a franchise quarterback, but a generational great quarterback. Once he gets out of the muck and mire and dysfunction of what is the Jacksonville Jaguars and their coaching staff and bringing a real head coach and bringing a real coaching staff to uh, coach him up, <clears throat> aka uh, speaking about you, Eric enemy, then possibly. Trevor Lawrence, we can start grading him a little bit better. Zach Wilson in his first year, he's been injured, he's been inconsistent yes, but the talent is there for him to be a franchise quarterback. I think due to physical tools, I think Justin Fields if not a franchise quarterback. I think that he has the talent and the tools to be closer to a franchise quarterback than this than just a starting quarterback. I think as far as the ceiling is concerned with Mac Jones, I think he's nothing more than a very good starting quarterback who again you do that, you can win championships, you know. But you put a, enough good pieces around him. If you put him in an organization that will do great things for the man, and you know the Patriots are a good organization with a great coach, then yes, those guys can definitely succeed in that uh, situation. But you put Mac Jones on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did you put Mac Jones on the Chicago Bears right now? He's not doing what he's doing now. He's not having the same impact that impact that he's having for the new england patriots Wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us let me end with kansas city are they back are they back are they back good lord have mercy man we're gonna go through this nonsense again who knows man i know that they had their best performance of the season in beating las vegas 41 14 third time in the last uh, 20 games that they scored 40 or more points you know, I, I, that was an interesting. It uh, was an interesting thing I saw. They this was only the third time in their last twenty games that they scored forty or more points. They snapped a three game uh, streak where they scored under twenty points, but they scored seven. They scored forty points week seven of the twenty twenty season against Denver. Then in week four of this season, they scored over forty against Philadelphia. Now, against the uh, Raiders, they uh, put up forty one. So. Are they back? Are they back? You know, perfect balance for KC on offense. We keep speaking about the offense. Hey, man, you know, the Raiders have been really good. Derek Carr has been a really good quarterback for the uh, Raiders on offense. And, you know, to hold them to 14 points, I think that's more encouraging. Now, how long is this going to last? We speak about the offense, the offense, the offense coming along. If one unit of that team, which you're speaking offense to defense, is going to Improve has a chance to improve. Of course, it's going to be the offense when you're speaking about having the most dynamic and best quarterback in the league and Patrick Mahomes and the weapons and everything that they put together over the last three years. If you were going to say, Hey, which unit, the offensive defense or defense, which unit is going to get, get better? Yes, you're going to tend to side with the offense. But I mean, to hold the Raiders to 14 points again, was that a situation where aberration, Raiders? having one of their bad days at the office type of things. Let's take a look at the totality of the Kansas City defense, not just for this season, but also for last season to realize that, you know, playing against an offense similar to the Raiders in terms of how good they are. The Kansas City team on defense is not going to be holding that opposition to around 14 points. But, you know, let's kind of concentrate on the offense because that's where most of the hey, the the, the, hand, the hand wringing and the head scratching and the walls pacing or the, the floors pacing was uh, commenced from. Kansas City had the perfect balance for a Kansas City offense. And Kansas City, in terms of having the perfect balance, this is only going to apply to Kansas City. It doesn't apply to anybody else. When you're speaking about Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball 50 times and the offense for Kansas City running the ball 25 times, a two-to-one ratio, normally that doesn't work for any other league or any of the, any other offense in the league. For Kansas City, for them to run the ball 25 times and pass it 50, that sounds about right. It's almost like, you know, three-point shooting with the Golden State Warriors, you know, when they were doing their thing. When the NBA started to uh, matriculate to teams shooting a whole bunch of three-pointers, you don't want to be three-point crazy happy. The only team that could apply to where you would see a bevy of three-point shots or you saw a large difference between the three-point attempts and the sh- Uh, two-point attempts the only place where that would work during that time was the golden state warriors because of guys like steph curry and clay thompson and then the acquisition of kevin durant so when a team was out there shooting a boatload of threes named the golden state warriors it was like okay compared to other teams who were trying that same style and it was like hey man you just can't go out there and shoot just a bunch of threes and not and completely ignore the uh, two point shot, for the most part, you're not getting to the line. You're not putting pressure on the defense. You're 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 not doing the things that you need to do. Don't try to emulate Golden State because th- you don't you don't have a Steph Curry. You don't have a backcourt of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson on your team. So let's kind of like veer away from that philosophy of just shooting a gang load of threes, unless you're unless you were Houston with James Harden and Mike D'Antoni, so or Mike D'Antonio. So um, that's the same thing with Kansas City. Look, man, you know, the more balance that you can get, 50-50, even putting more emphasis on the runs in the past for 29 teams in the league, that includes the Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that includes the Aaron Rodgers-led Green Bay Packers, that includes the Arizona Cardinals led by um, Kyler Murray, that's also... That's also speaking about the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen. Even the franchise quarterbacks, even the elite quarterbacks in the league, you want that ratio of just as many runs as you do passes. For Kansas City, it's completely different. For Kansas City, it's like, hey, man, you know, put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands, and despite some of the knuckleheaded decisions that he's made throughout the first part of the season— you still, want Patrick, you still want the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands to um, make the majority of the decision. So yes, Kansas City throwing the ball 50 times and running it 25 times, that is outstanding for a quote-unquote balance when you're speaking about uh, the Kansas City football team and also the fact that, you know what, in those 25 rushing attempts, none of them were by Patrick Mahomes. So there you go. Mahomes went uh, 35 of 50, threw for 406 yards, five touchdowns, even though the one to uh, Damian Williams, that was kind of like, oh, okay, thanks. (laughs) That was a gift. Thank you very much. Of the 35 completions, seven different receivers caught at least two passes. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey combined to catch 15 passes for over 200 yards, two touchdowns, both by Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey had his best game. Of the season, he was fantastic. Mahone connected on four passes of 25 or more yards to four different receivers. Which meant if you go ahead and you take your time, baby, take your time, do it right, you can do it, baby. Do it, Kansas City. If you go ahead and you do that and you chip away and you chip away and you get those singles and you get those doubles, those singles and doubles will, guess what, turn to triples and home runs and four times. Again, in that game against Las Vegas, 25 or more yards on pass plays. So, what, after two and a half months, 10 games into the season, KC has their mojo in position at the number one team in the AFC West in the division. They got it back, huh? After everything that went down. So, I'm taking a look at the remaining schedule for Kansas City. Dallas next week. Ooh, that's going to be tasty. Then they have a bye. Then they're on to uh, host uh, Denver then the Raiders, then they're on the road to the Chargers, the Steelers back home at Cincinnati, and then they end the season at Denver. So I guess the question, are they back, are they back, I guess that's probably going to be determined by how well they play on the road, I would say, against Dallas. I think Dallas is going to be a much bigger litmus test in terms of is kansas city backer you know back or not you know playing against one of the elite teams in the uh not just the nfc but also the nfl i think that road game against the los angeles chargers is also going to be a good determining factor to see if they're quote-unquote back or not going up against a really good defense in pittsburgh even though it's going to be at home will again be a great sign to see if truly that offense for kansas city is back or not and then going on the road playing cincinnati are we going to be playing the Cincinnati that beat the Baltimore Ravens on the road? Or are we going to be playing the Cincinnati Bengals that lost to the New York Jets? Uh, so we'll, we'll find about we'll find out about that. But there's different different minefields. There's different obstacles. There's different litmus tests. There's different games of gauges that uh, the Kansas City football team is going to be playing to determine whether the game against the Las Vegas Raiders was truly. A game where Kansas City rediscovered who they are offensively, or was it just a situation where it was just you know a one a one week deal and they went back to what they were um, earlier in the season, leading up to that game against the Raiders. No, no one really thought that that kind of explosion was going to happen. I know that you know every game it was like, well, you know, this is the game. Every game was a litmus test in terms of um, Kansas City to see if they were truly back rip roaring ready to go the team that resembled the championship contending teams from 2018 to 2020 so it was always like well yeah they look bad in this game but next week they play this team and if they can do well against this team i really think this will be the game that will put them back on track or this is and when they didn't do that well this is going to be the game i remember the monday night game against the giants where well if they can't go ahead and do great work against the new york giants and you know monday night football and the game of importance and you know, they can't go ahead and be the Kansas city chiefs of the, uh, uh, uh that, that we know and love that. Oh my goodness gracious. Then there might be something really wrong with this offense. And then that was, after that, it was another game. And after that, it was another game. So it seemed like every game, it was always, uh, Hey, this is going to be the one to determine whether the, um, Kansas city football team is back, rip roaring, ready to go. So, I'm not going to all of a sudden say, yeah, Kansas City is back. Show me again. You got to show me again. And show me against a team on the road that has championship aspirations and talent like the Dallas Cowboys. Then, if you, you don't need to put up 40, but if you resemble anything close to the way, to the team that was uh, playing a Sunday night against the Las Vegas Raiders, then you have captured my attention in terms of, hey, maybe this team truly does have everything back in is, you know, back to the Kansas City that we know and love. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Let me end this football talking deal professionally about Tampa Bay. Very disappointing loss to my Washington football team, head coach Bruce Arians. Man, did you see that uh, post-conference after the game? That press conference after the game? Talking about destroying a team. I mean, it was like, man, not just the team, but also the coaches. Um, it was uh, it was interesting. Here, go ahead and uh, take a look to uh, what uh, Arians was uh, putting down on his team and his coaching staff after the disappointing loss to the Washington Football Team. Needless to say, he was pissed. You know, energy and passion is very flexible, you know. Um, the penalties they got to get corrected sooner or later. You know? First play of the game we're shifting and we jump off sides I mean, don't even run a play and we jump off sides. That's just the stupidity uh, has to go away. If we're going to go anywhere. Is that the most frustrating part about it? Is it the fact that it isn't because of lack of, of ability, but some of those oh, that has nothing to do with ability. It's, it's all about execution and, and, uh, and, and being a smart football team. We're a very dumb football team. And that's a, that's a reflection of the coaches. So there you have it. Yeah. You could tell that, um, He was not happy If you took a look at that uh, post conference That press conference after the game Tom Brady wasn't happy Gave what about a minute, and 43 minutes worth of uh, Gotta play better, gotta do better Gotta cut down on the turnovers See you later, I'm done So that was uh, interesting From the audio, energy and passion are very fixable The penalties, you gotta get corrected Sooner or later, the first play of the game They're shifting and we jump off sides They don't even run a play and we jump off sides The stupidity has to go away or we're going to go anywhere. Ooh, that's a direct shot. I mean, that's nothing where it was kind of like, we as coaches, we as players no, that was kind of singling somebody up where they say the player is jumping offside and then saying the stupidity. Now, as a teacher, as someone who's dealing with minors, it's those, we, 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 you can't call somebody stupid, you know? You can't call a student stupid or dumb or any of those negative kind of tones. You can't do that. If the, the, the closest thing to the line is, that you can get to is that you know that action you did was stupid what you were doing as far as your action is concerned was stupid you're not stupid but what you did was stupid so maybe in terms of Bruce Arians that's what he was talking about the player who did that himself is not stupid but what he did was very stupid so it was like mm, okay so also from the audio he sat there and said it has nothing to do with ability when we're speaking about well how can this be fixed it has nothing to do with ability. It's about execution and being a smart football team. We're a very dumb football team, and that's a reflection on the coaches. Ooh, Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich, Shots fired. So what are you going to do about that? Interesting. Interesting moving forward. So basically, Bruce Arias gave a, do I have your attention now type of uh, press conference after the game. So if they're concerned in Tampa Bay, they've lost consecutive games they've lost to Taylor Heineke and they've lost to uh, Trevian, uh, Trevor Simeon. And four of their six victories have come against teams that currently have losing records. So how good are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? We're going to find out because guess what? They're going to be playing the Giants, then the Red Indy, then Atlanta, then back home the Buffalo, New Orleans, then on the road again to Carolina, then a glorified Homecoming game on the road against the New York Jets, and then they end the season at home against Carolina. So we're gonna we're gonna find out exactly how good the um, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. I I think this is just a blip in the road. I think this is a situation where you're dealing with the injuries, both offensively and defensively, that the uh, Buccaneers are dealing with. When you're talking about no. Uh, Chris Godwin, as far as being 100%. Rod Gronkowski hadn't played in a while. Um, Antonio Brown hadn't played in a while. Richard Sherman injured his calf before the game even started, and he's going to be out multiple weeks. The secondary has been devastated by injuries, but all of these things are going to improve by the time the season gets uh, gets over with. And, again, when you're speaking about the record that Tom Brady has in November, maybe this is the wake up let's crank it up type of game losing to the washington football team and the way that they did it i mean it looked like they were basically still mentally on a bye week by the uh by the uh and they didn't get back to start the game mentally for them until the third quarter too late too late so interesting moves interesting comments by bruce arians but when i think when everything is all said and done brady 44 year old tom brady Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Ron Gronkowski, the array of talent, the array of skill players that will finally be coming together and meshing. I think when everything is all said and done concerning the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, now when we speak about are they going to be fine, should there be concern in Tampa Bay? Well, should there be concern in Tampa Bay about winning another Super Bowl? Yes, because you still have some really good football teams and they're jeopardizing their opportunity to play an NFC Championship game if they make it that far. On their home field, are they going to have to go back up to Green Bay? Are they going to go on the road to Arizona? So, you know, they're jeopardizing their opportunity to maximize their potential to meet to reach the uh, Super Bowl and defend their championship. If that's going to be a concern for you, if that's your if that's your definition of concern for Tampa, but if your concern for Tampa is are they going to make the playoffs or not, then I think it's a situation where, come on, man, calm down. They'll be fine. When everything is all said and done, you'll be looking at a. 12-5 and 5 NFC South Division Championship Tampa Bay Buccaneers team and once the playoff hits it's truly any given Sunday anything can happen so that's my quote unquote concern for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers nothing more to see here it's now time for us to move on Ready for war Show how you want to blow these spots Get us in the free murder some wop. I've been Yahweh the punishes ready. Me me and Beatles with noodles we we'll do this do while he slurps spaghetti. Everybody kiss the fucking floor. Don't fuck them all if they move. Noodle shoot that fucking whore. Dead in the middle of little, little little did we know that every riddle's a man who didn't do diddly. Here to be a cold game. how the day I take it now. Make no mistake, for real I wouldn't hesitate to kill. Until still a fat one that you love to hate. Got you at your mother's waist. Smack you, then I whack you with my scutcheon. i rub your face off the earth and curse your family, children like not and show the nerves in your cavity, filling the sanity, building a pavilion in my civilian. It can't be the anarchy that humanity's filling. I'm filling without remorse is willing to out outsupport forever and take all the chatter like child support. I support one in anything he does, anything he loves. A brother from another mother, said sympathy above a dark nigger just like me, one of the best might be. Even better, even niggers on a right knee. Spike me could paint a better picture. Windows World is Sports. I'm your host, wall is So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, getting this done before the start of AEW, 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. The Lakers are playing the Milwaukee Bucks, starting their road trip. Going to be, after that, watching a little bit of the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks before heading off the bed and getting ready to wake up at 4.45 in the morning so I can go back out to uh, Mesquite, Nevada to do what I do. Here's the deal that gets me, man. You know, because one of the things, if not the only thing about living on the West Coast is the fact for me being a huge sports fan and the fact that the western conference and the nba as such has been such a dominant more entertaining league or a conference than the eastern conference is the fact that the west coast games always start at 7 30 out here i have the opportunity to watch the lakers i have the watch an opportunity to watch the clippers so you know I'm, I'm always good for an nba game and i'm always good to if uh watching the east coast game and the west coast game because the west coast game usually ends around 10 30 10 o'clock, somewhere around there, plenty of time for me to uh, get ready for sleep and get ready for bed and get ready for waking up early and doing what I have to do to uh, pay the bills, keep a roof over my head and that type of thing uh, throughout the day, but um, living on the East Coast, man, here it is on a Wednesday and the game for um, the second game of the uh, doubleheader on ESPN, the... Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks, which is going to be a pretty decent game. I know Luka's not playing, but uh, it's going to be a pretty decent game. The fact that that game is going to start somewhere around 1030 tonight, it's like, man, if I'm in the East Coast, man, I'm like, there's no way I can watch that game. Maybe I can watch a quarter at the very most. Maybe maybe a quarter and a half, but for the most part, man, I'm not watching that entire game. It's going to be over at 1 o'clock in the morning, and i got to wake up for me at uh, 4.45, three and a half hours, three hours and 45 minutes. And then i got to get in my car in the dark of uh, the morning and drive up somewhere to uh, do what I need to do. Man, I can't be doing that kind of stuff. So one of the great things of living again on the West Coast, maybe the only great thing about living on the West Coast is the fact that these... Uh, Western Conference games are doable. Uh, I tried when I went back home uh, in June, and I tried to stay up for uh, the deciding game between the Lakers and the Suns. Man, I was out. I was, by the third quarter, I was out. By the middle of the second, I was fighting, fighting, crack, scratching, clawing to see what I could do to stay awake. And I tapped out You know, at the start of the third. I just couldn't take it anymore, so... Um, you know, one of the best things about living on the West Coast, if you're a sports fan like I am, Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your and you have a job. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let's go ahead and get to the uh, college football here. A lot of some, some, good, some good games, you know. As far as the um, rankings are concerned, everything stays the same. Georgia number one, Alabama number two, Oregon number three, Ohio State number four, Cincinnati remains at number five. The only thing of interest is Oklahoma dropping the way they did uh, after losing to Baylor. It's interesting. Oklahoma came into that game undefeated, and it was almost like, you know, you you have yourself one loss and you're done. I mean, we're speaking possibly of Alabama losing in the SEC championship game if it's a competitive game against the Georgia Bulldogs. The fact that they still might have the opportunity to uh, play for the championship with two losses, then they can sit there and talk about whether their only losses was to. Texas A&M on the road, 45-42, and the only loss, the other loss, is to Georgia, and because of that, and because of Alabama, and you take a look at their body of work, and you take a look at the talent that they have on the field, and you take a look at the resume of the coach, the fact that uh, we also don't want Cincinnati, the non-power five school in the playoffs, and Clemson is down the season, so normally a blue blood for the last couple of years, or at least since this 14 playoff has started, they're not eligible to be in the championship so we really can't insert anybody else in at least from the sec or from the big 12 or big 10 and such so we're just going to go ahead and just give uh the nod to a two loss alabama squad that is basically that, that that is a real possibility depending upon what shakes and what breaks if ohio state can win their conference if they beat michigan state And then they go ahead and beat Michigan, and then they win their uh, conference championship game they're in. If Oregon does the same in terms of winning the rest of their games and winning their conference championship they're in, then you take a look and you say, okay, who else besides Georgia or Alabama would be able, would be worthy to get into the playoffs? But then again, we exactly don't know how the commission goes ahead and does this, so you know, we, we we're kind of lost in terms of how they dictate, how they determine who the top four teams are. But there's some good games. There's going to be some good games. I'm really interested in the uh, 9 a.m. game, West Coast time in the morning. Michigan State's going to be at Ohio State. Michigan State coming in at number seven. Ohio State at number four. Michigan State still having a pathway to get into the college football playoffs. Same with Michigan. If they go ahead and take care of business, win the rest of their games, and win their conference championship, which would mean eliminating Ohio State if you're both Michigan and Michigan State, wouldn't that be sweet? For Jim Barball, all the bullshit and all of the angst and all of the negative reception and negative press that he's been getting throughout his, most of his tenure at Michigan, despite the fact that uh, he's been pretty successful in terms of, of a win-loss record. The main thing that has kept him, that have held him back, or as, which has... You know, started the yearly. Is Jim Harbaugh right for this job? type of, type of discussions are his inability to uh, win the big game, his inability to be the right team, his inability to be competitive except for one season against uh, Ohio State. So, if he can go ahead and do this this season, get into the playoff, which would mean beating Ohio State and winning that conference championship, then that would uh, be a lot of vindication for those who stuck with Harbaugh and Harbaugh himself. So, you know, but then again with Michigan State, which would be, if Michigan State can go ahead on the road, beat Ohio State, then go ahead and win the conference championship and get themselves into the playoffs, that would probably be the most remarkable story in college football, I would think, in decades. Seriously, if you think about where Michigan State was last season and then you speak, think about the expectation of Michigan State this season, nobody, if Michigan State pulled this off, in terms of beating Ohio State and, um, and getting themselves into the playoffs, nobody will exceed expectations greater. I can't think of anybody watching college football 20, 30, 40 years off the top of my head that I can think and say that season was better. When you think about the expectations, when you think about where the program was a year ago to then be in play for a national championship, I can't think of any program over the last 40 years which would exceed what Michigan State would do. But first things first for Mel, Mel Tucker, the guys, they have to go ahead and they have to uh, beat Ohio State. And now their report's that Michigan State is up there offering, going to offer or in the works or thinking about or negotiating or doing something about offering Mel Tucker a long-term contract in the realm of 10 years and $95 million. Make that money, Mel. Make that money, big man, because you know if they can pull this shit off. First of all, if Michigan State can pull this shit off, Mel Tucker should be making, I'm going to say, $95 million ain't enough. Sorry. And could you imagine the leverage if Michigan State has the magical cinderella season after what he did coming in replacing mike d'antonio or mike d' I get mike d'antonio and mike d'antoni mixed up damn it but uh, mike d'antonio mike is the coach for the rockets used to be the coach for the rockets but uh, could you imagine taking over that program which which was in the shitter which was run down um, and do what he did within a matter of two years, hitting the transfer portal like he did, turning around that program so quickly. Again, 10 years, 95 mil, that ain't enough. I don't know how much would be guaranteed, but if I'm um, LSU, if I'm USC, everybody's focusing on Matt Campbell and James Franklin, shit. What about Michigan State and what about prying Mel Tucker from that job? I know he can sit up there and talk about I'm Michigan State Ghost Party and all that kind of nonsense, but. You're going to try to tell me. I don't know the financial situations. I don't know how much the donors would go ahead and open up the checkbook. But if you're someone like LSU, who always goes big game hunting, if you think about that athletic direct, uh, director for uh, that squad, um, for the um, LSU, uh, Steve Woodward, yes, this his name. For him, he's always been a big game hunter in terms of coaches. Um, if Jimbo Fisher turns down, the Texas A&M program uh, uh, stays at Texas A&M and he turns down the LSU program you're going to try to tell me that somehow someway they can't get Mel Tucker to go to LSU now if I'm Mel Tucker would I take that job with the expectations that come with um, being the coach at LSU would I go ahead and take that job or would I stay at Michigan State, especially if they're going to be offering me something in the neighborhood of ninety something million dollars to have that type of security? I don't know, but it's an interesting, interesting deal. And it all starts. The conversation can really start in earnest if Michigan State beats Ohio State on Saturday morning out here in the West Coast. So that's the game of the that's the game of the day in college football, Michigan State at Ohio State. But there's some other good games. Iowa State at, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma now outside of any possibility with the exception of chaos and winning the big 12 championship of, uh, really being serious contenders for the four teams that compete for the, uh, championship, the uh, semifinals and, so- and finals for the uh, college football playoffs. But you know, the whole deal with them, everybody was waiting for that house of cards to fall. When you're speaking about Oklahoma and the uh, loss of Baylor, kind of showed that uh, in terms of being one of the elite football programs for 2021 and trying to reach the expectations, preseason expectations, where there was a lot of talk about Oklahoma possibly being in contention, strong contention for the uh, number one you know, team in the country for, through the entire season. Spencer Rattler being one of the guys who could be strong candidates for the Heisman Trophy, the way that they fell off without really falling off. It wasn't a situation where Oklahoma's coming into this game with three or four losses, but it was the fact that how they played, the fact that they really didn't have any signature victories, and the one time that they had, or the first time that they had the opportunity to stamp out some of the the discussion about Oklahoma being frauds, when you're speaking about the elite programs in college football for this season, their first opportunity to uh, put a silencer on all that nonsense, they lose at Baylor, well... You know what does the impact or what would be the impact of Oklahoma beating another disappointing team who was preseason top ten and now you're looking at Ohio and then the Iowa State team, which has what three or four losses or something like that. What's going to be the what's going to be the impact or what's going to be the hoorah rah or what's going to be the time for me to dance on the ceiling like Lionel Lionel Richie or dance in the street like Martha and the Vandellas? What's going to be the hip hip parade about that if they beat Iowa State? Big flipping deal if you're Oklahoma. So really, you know, this, this is a situation. They could win at Bedlam against Oklahoma State. What does it mean? What would it mean for them? It would be more of an indictment on Oklahoma State and Iowa State to say that, man, you can't even beat Oklahoma when they're down this year. Again, the Oklahoma team considered down this year with only one loss. So Iowa State, Oklahoma, a couple of weeks ago, even at the beginning of the season, looked it looked like a delicious meal to digest but uh, not anymore. It only gives you heartburn, fizz, fizz. Oh, relief! It wouldn't be so. Wendell's world of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Arkansas, really the last chance. Well, maybe with the exception of Auburn and the Iron Bowl. Who knows? But I think the best chance for Alabama to lose, even though they're playing at home, comes against Arkansas. They play them 12:30 on CBS. Arkansas ranked uh, 21st in the country any night games of any interest that I see here not really not really you've got Arizona State at Oregon State you got Vanderbilt at Old Miss you got well you've got Oregon playing uh Utah 4:30 on the ABC Pacific standard time number 3 Utah as uh, excuse me. number 23 Oregon at number 23 Utah that might be something interesting but for the most part you know it's uh it'll be a a solid weekend in college football speaking real quickly about the coaching carousel though man you're speaking about man some of these programs because justin fuente at ohio at uh, virginia tech he's out after football coach 43 and 31 six seasons at virginia tech was basically look man you know what we're not going to give you that contract extension so you know what that means when we don't give you that contract extension do you want to say you resign or do we want you do or are we going to say that we fired you so it became clear that you know what time for me to go if you're Fuente think he's a decent coach but think just like um, Clay Helton was I think that he would be better off in one of the non-power five schools to uh, go for his next coaching job if he wants to continue to coach but if you take a look man here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly Wendell Wallace take a look at some of these programs needing head coaches going into the next season where you have USC and LSU TCU Washington, Washington State possibility of Miami possibility of Florida. I mean, who's out there, man? Most most names that are being out there for the top tier schools like the LSU's and the USC's are Matt Campbell and Dave Aranda and Luke Fickle and James Franklin, which which are which are nice, but they're not sexy home run picks. And Look, I understand that winning the press conference in terms of inter- of introducing your next college football head coach is not the you know pathway to win championships or doesn't mean that they you know, give you a leg up on that but you know I, I don't see that sexy name out there I don't see that you know wow that big splash name out there many people are speaking about Urban Meyer you know once he gets fired or once he finds out that the NFL is not for him and going back to college that he would be such a great fit at USC or LSU I wouldn't hire Urban Meyer I'm telling you right now if I'm LSU and USC I'm not hiring Urban Meyer the, the, the waves have changed in college football from when he first, or when he was last a head football coach at LSU. And we know one thing about Urban Meyer. He's going to be successful, at least in the old ways of college football before NIL and the transfer portal being much more active and such and many other avenues to recruit and bring in new talent. And the fact that we knew about Urban Meyer, we knew this, that he was going to uh, be great for your program in the, in the uh, short run, that he was going to build it and bring it up to prominence, that he could possibly win a championship. He's always going to be competing for a championship for a short stretch where he's going to have his team because of the recruiting and such. And then it's all going to come crumbling down. And it's going to come crumbling down in the midst of NCAA investigations. It's going to become crumbling down in the midst of bad decisions by the head coach. It's going to become crumbling down in terms of, you know, we're going to be seeing that press conference. If Urban Meyer became the coach, let's say, for instance, of USC, because I think he's more of a USC guy than he would be an LSU guy, even though he worked in Florida, might still have some connections uh, down there as far as recruiting is concerned, that SEC country, you know, where he was so successful as the coach of Florida. But I, I still see him in this new age as a USC guy, as far as if he was to return to college to be a coach. And I don't even think that Urban Meyer even wants to go back to college the way college football is right now, the stuff that you have to do at his age and health uh, situation and such. But, Let's just say, for instance, Urban Meyer going back to USC. Best case scenario for those would be that he immediately resurrects the program for the next five, six, seven years that um, uh, that USC wins a championship, national championship is concerned. They win Rose Bowls when they're not competing for national championships. They dominate the Pac-12 and all those good things. You have a stretch of, say, from 2023 to 2027 where, again, winning national championships, being in the playoffs, doing all those type of things. But then by 28, 29, when he sits up there and says, oh, because of health reasons and all this kind of stuff that I'm going to step down and I'm never going to coach football again, he's going to leave your program in shambles. So that nice little four or five year run is awesome. It's great. But the aftermath of that is ain't going to be pretty. Now, look, Ohio State hired um, hired Ryan, uh, Ryan Day from his staff and he kept the things going he kept ohio state afloat and really improved the program but for me it's just a situation where i don't touch urban meyer i'm just not going to deal with urban meyer from usc or lsu and like again this is all just speculation because i don't think that urban meyer if he gets fired from jacksonville is going to go back to college i think that he's i think that that's the last itch he wanted to scratch to see what it would be like to uh coach an nfl football team and i guessing now he figures that nope a lot different I'm way over my head so he's gonna do the uh, Jim Mora he's gonna do these he's gonna do the uh, Steve Spurrier he's gonna do the uh, Bobby Petrino he's gonna do the Nick Saban and be like yeah you know what I was always a college coach he was gonna he's gonna do the Lou Holtz and come to the realization that yeah I'm a college coach nothing more nothing less and uh, you know that's really not a bad thing Wendell's World and Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, LSU, who are they going to get? I don't know, man. Once again, the athletic director for LSU, Steve Woodward, is a guy who's going to go after Jimbo Fisher. And Jimbo was talking about how much of an idiot he would be if he left Texas A&M. And Texas A&M just uh, secured the services of uh, Walter Nolan, the number one player in the 2022 uh, recruiting class. So, he's supposed to be a guy who's supposed to be a difference maker, defensive tackle, so he's supposed to be a difference maker. They're also bringing in some other defensive players. So Ellis, so what uh, Texas A&M has a strong recruiting class coming in. Fisher's making a boatload of money. So it's a situation where, look, I know that Woodward was the guy that hired me when I was at tech, when uh, he was the AD at Texas A&M and I was looking for a lifeline to get out of Florida state. But you know, I'm just right now. I, I just don't see a reason why, unless Woodward can just blow him out the water With the amount of money they, they can offer him I mean, what would it take, man If you're LSU to get Jimbo Fisher To even think about leaving that program At uh, Texas A&M I mean, shit, you would have to put up Something like around 11-year $132 million contract Or some nonsense like that Some unrealistic number like that To get uh, Fisher out of uh, Texas A&M In my opinion And he came out pretty strongly And said that, look, I'm not leaving I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving and after saying all that, the reporters and everybody looked around and said, so are you leaving? So, you know, not until, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take in terms of, you know, LSU getting it through their thick skulls that uh, Fisher is not coming, is not coming there. But, uh, you know, you know, uh, persistence breaks resistance. You know, or some people call it stalking, either one. But uh, it'll be interesting. That just leaves again. When you're speaking about coaching candidates, Luke Fickle, who's been linked to the USC job because his old AD, uh, he has ties with his old AD. Um, he hired him at uh, Cincinnati. So it's a situation where if you're Luke Fickle, a guy who has what six or seven kids, very comfortable living in the Midwest, one year being the major being the coach at a major university, Ohio State, average at best, but those were circumstances beyond his control for him to really have a strong opportunity to uh, win a bunch of games and, you know, make his mark as being a guy who could lead a uh, an elite college football program. He's done great at Cincinnati, but, you know, for USC, again, do you, do you make that play? And do you make a play for Luke Fickle, a guy who, yes, has had success, but, albeit in a non-Power power 5 conference? Are you willing to pay him, what, how much is it going to cost? Eight, nine mil, somewhere around there? Seven and a half, eight mil a year? Multiple, multiple years to get him out of Cincinnati? Are you willing to do that for Luke Fickle? Or would you rather have someone like a James Franklin, who has, uh, I think, is a solid coach? I think he's a solid to a very good coach. But is he elite? How many championships has he won? Zero. I mean, how many times has he had Penn? He's, he's done a great job at Penn State. He's done a great job Took over for Bill O'Brien Did a great job Built the uh, built on the uh, foundation Strong foundation that Bill O'Brien laid down While he was the coach there After the Jerry Sandusky nonsense He was the man who replaced um, Joe Paterno So it's always, it always better in James Franklin's case To replace the man who replaced the man But um, I think in the situation right now And James Franklin has a strong recruiting class Coming into Penn State Is he willing to give all that up to... Uh, Go to a USC where I think, as far as a better fit for him, when you're thinking James Franklin, his attitude, his verb, his, his, his soit de vivre, shall we say, for, um, you know, for, for that type of thing. Is it, uh, more fit for Los Angeles, California, instead of Happy Valley, uh, Pennsylvania? I don't know. He changed agents, got himself a high profile agent, so. You know what did that mean? What did that signal? What did that identify? Who knows? I don't know. But uh, those are just you know some of the questions. But again, there is no like sexy pick out there, you know, in terms of getting one of these jobs. And we're still we still haven't even talked about the position at Miami or Florida. I mean, is Dan Mullen going to keep his job? I mean, after that nonsense for against uh, Sanford. I mean, what happened if they actually play Sanford and his son? I mean, it would really be horrible. You know, I mean, I mean, it would be a situation where Dan Mullen was certainly talking about, you know, Esther, I'm coming up to see you. So, was it Esther, by the way? I don't know. Bertha, I don't know. I forgot. Eunice, I don't know. I forgot. But, um, you know, it was a situation where, hey, man, there's some things in college football. If you're a coach at a major college football program, in Florida is a major college football program, there are things, I think, that constitutes an immediate fire that are fireable offenses right off the bat. If you're the coach of one of those schools. It's committing a serious uh violent felony. You gotta go. Getting caught in an extramarital affair with a co ed, you know, wrecking your bike <laughs> on the way to see her. I forget what the whole Bobby Petrino nonsense was, but if you're if you're seven and three, six and four and you're caught, you know, sleeping around with uh, with a junior who's uh, helping out with the football program, one of the co eds, you're gone. And if the NCAA finds some type of extreme violation, you know, something where it's kind of like, damn, man, I mean, you know, your you're, 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 you're cheating is beyond the pale. I mean, we're talking about, it's got to be just a combination of paying players outrageous amount of money, giving gifts, uh, you know, players committing violent felonies, rapes, and all those type of things, being menaced to the community, uh, cheating, scandals. I mean, it's got to be like a mixture of all of those things for a administrating, administrator to be like hey look man you you got to go no you're not finishing the season no you you, you just you just got to go so those are some of the things i think off the top of my head that would constitute in a fireable offense a you know get him out of here asap you're done another one would be allowing a mediocre run of the mill below average 4 and 6 fbs football program to score 52 fucking points on your defense after you fire the defensive coordinator after Mullen fired his defensive coordinator, yeah, Florida gave up 530 yards and 42 points in the first half. That man should have been fired at halftime. Are you kidding me? I mean, damn. They allow Sanford, not his son, Sanford, to convert seven of 15 third downs, and they only forced him to punt the ball twice. And Dan Mullen is up there dancing in the locker room like he's Billy Jean That's not my lover. He's just a girl who claims that he's the one. But that kid ain't his son. He's up there doing the moonwalk. He's up there doing the MJ. He's up there doing the James Brown. He's up there doing the kitten play. He's up there doing the running man. He's up there celebrating like it's 1999 after beating Sanford. I would have fired his ass right there. Like, wait a minute. If you're this excited and enthusiastic about beating Sanford, then we definitely need to get a new coach because that should be the least of our. You know, that's to be. You know, Sanford is a that's just a glorified scrimmage that's even worse than a scrimmage and you're up there you know doing the boogaloo and the funky chicken too and dancing on the ceiling and on the on the streets like Chicago, Detroit and D.C. because to beat Sanford wow 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 so it was just interesting to see that display of like wow man these guys are just ridiculous and if you're Dan Mullen I mean you gotta know perception being reality you got to know that that's not a good look and the double down on your speaking about hey anytime we win a football game you know i'm going to be happy you you've got to know that that's not a good look you got to know that you're poking the bear you got to know that you're throwing a little bit more gasoline on that fire man if i could use those cliches when you say some say some stuff like that so it'll be interesting i mean you just be lucky that steve sarkeesian steve sarkeesian should be lucky that he's just in his first year of a um of his contract, which pay, which is paying him a boatload of money, because if he was Charlie Strong, or if he was in year three, or if he was in year four, and his name was Tom Herman, and after that display, losing to Kansas at home, after going on what now, a five-game losing streak? Bye-bye! I wonder, after the game against Kansas, you know what? Good for them, in terms of Kansas winning MB, Texas not only having to uh, face the Realization that you just lost to one of the worst teams in the Power Five conferences in all of the uh, major college football programs. But the fact that afterwards you had to go in a half-empty stadium and sing that racist fight song, school song, that makes it even better, man. That makes it even sweeter. That makes it even more laughable. That makes it even more uh, poetic that you guys have to do that. So Texas moving forward, I don't know in terms of the impact of losing to kansas is going to do for uh, steve Sarkeesian moving forward i tell you what if this happened to charlie strong uh, they would be planning his exodus probably after two or three games next season they don't care how much he was making so it'll be interesting to see how much this affects the program there were some rumblings and there were some reports that hey man the coaching staff and Sarkeesian really are gelling well with the players of this season now but Sarkeesian, this being his first year he doesn't have his players or the player that he recruits so you know some of these guys is like you know I don't give a fuck you ain't gonna be here next year anyway and the players are like well I don't give a fuck if we lose or whatever I ain't gonna be here next year anyway so it's just that whole toxic mixture of a coach player relationships that are afraid, according to multiple reports to where it hasn't uh, bode well this season for the University of Texas but uh, yeah man, interesting weekend coming up for college football, coaching carousel in full effect as far as uh, that situation is concerned, it's going to be fun Michigan State, do what you need to do against Ohio State and Mel Mel Tucker, brother make sure you get that money (music) Well, I'm the jibber, gabber, chore like shabber, ranks making bank operating like trapper, John and B. Yeah, that's what folks tell me. I plan on going far and be a star like Marcus. Well, we so there. uh so <clears throat> you oh, yes. I mix the buckets, scores and rockets like Manudo or judo. I get it, I do them when I gamble. And when I swing my thing, I take the swing like Mickey Nano. But um, I got more flavors in a pack an hour later. Beg your pardon, Mr. Keebler. But I love vanilla Weaver. See, I got it going on because of the songs that I write. I got it going on because my crew. Last segment of the program here, Wendell's World in Sports. This will be the shortest segment in Wendell's World in Sports podcast history. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I got to get out of here because... There's some stuff that I want to talk about concerning the NBA that is not going to allow me to really get into it like I want to get into it. I want to speak about COVID. I want to speak about the Warriors. I want to speak about the Brooklyn Nets. I want to speak about that game as far as the Brooklyn Nets laying an egg and the Golden State Warriors putting the smackdown on the Brooklyn Nets on uh, Tuesday night. I want to talk about that. I want to speak about some other things that are happening in the NBA. I want to speak about the covid situation in terms of damn man this is like the third season in a row where my appetite was getting ready to watch the utah jazz play the philadelphia 76ers at salt lake city and watch joel Embiid go against uh rudy gobert but for the third season in a row first two were because of injury now because of covid the matchup between gobert and Embiid was put on ice because Embiid couldn't play, so that was extremely disappointing, and I just want to talk about, and I wanted to talk more and get really into the situation about the COVID wrecking havoc so far on the NBA, when you're speaking about some of the players that have been affected, uh, uh, Nikola Vucevic is not playing, when you speak about Jalen Brown, Suffered uh, from COVID-19 and he's getting himself back into the fray when you're speaking about Chris Middleton returning when you speak about what's happening as far as COVID is concerned I wanted to get into that but I'm almost out of time so I will tell I will table that. Discussion for the next time I get a podcast. This next podcast that I'm going to be putting down is mainly going to be about the NBA. I got into a lot about the NFL. I spoke about college football, but I really haven't touched the NBA as much as I wanted to. And of course, 14, 15 games in, really not too much to really dive into when you want to make some real strong prognostications about what's going to be happening and what's going to be going on. But uh, there's still some stuff. There's still some issues. There's still some topics. There's still some discussions that I want to have with you in terms of the NBA and really get into it. So I'm going to save that discussion until the next time we have a podcast. And the next time that I record a podcast, Georgetown will have played, or Georgetown will be playing Siena. Happy about the performance against American. Yes, it's a long way to go. The game against Dartmouth, the defense was horrendous. The offense was putrid. The coaching to get them ready for the game was questionable. It was not good. But when you're dealing with a young team like this, when you were dealing with a situation where Georgetown was was playing without uh, Timothy Ego and Kobe Clark and Colin Holloway against Dartmouth, and then getting Ego Hefe back, but still not having Clark or Holloway available to you, you know, is going to uh, throw off some things moving forward in terms of building this new georgetown program good to see ewing giving the freshman a lot of run good to see him basically giving muhammad the green light and letting that young buck uh run free and um you know better to harness him and bring him in rather than to try to get that motor running so you know there's a lot of work to be done for this team watching teams like marquette beat illinois watching some of the uh, other squads in the big east Seton Hall and them, I can understand why we were picked near the bottom of the uh, conference. How bad must the Paul be for them to be below us? But you know, it's a long season, and I trust Coach Ewing getting things together for this team. Not saying that they're going to make the tournament or any type of nonsense like that, but uh, they have some pretty good building pieces with uh, Jordan Riley. Love his athleticism. I like Mah- uh, Aminu Muhammad. What he can do. Dante Harris played better against American, but boy, was he horrible against dartmouth and i still think there's, there's a lot of room for growth and for him to get better for him the need the need if the team is going to be anything halfway decent the need for dante harris to be more consistent both offensively and defensively ego f needs again to try to cut down on his fouling don carey needs to be that leader continue to hit from the mid-range and also from the three-point land Caden rice Jesus fucking A Christ, man. How many goddamn three-pointers are you going to miss? 0 for 7 against American. We need for him to step things up again. Two games in, they didn't have a preseason. Siena stinks out loud. So this should be another pretty easy win for Georgetown. But then again, we said the same thing about Dartmouth, who was a lot better than American, and we handled American pretty well so that's my thoughts my opinions about that all right i am out of here i am done sorry for the short segment sorry for the false information i feel like vince mcmahon on raw yeah mvp is going to be coming out with bobby lashley no mvp yeah finn Balor is going to fight someone other than kevin owens he winds up fighting kevin owens so okay all right so i'm just going to vince i'm vince mcmahonning myself here and talking about in the pre-show, yeah, I'm going to be talking about this in the NBA, and this, that, and the other, and I'm like five minutes in, and it's like, now we're done so, um, yeah I'm going to uh, go ahead and do what I need to do you go ahead and and do what you need to do, in terms of making sure that people around you, making sure that your environment is full with love respect, unity, harmony and all those good things, here is my musical ending from the movie Fame I got some stuff I got to say about fame Leroy, when you look at that movie as a kid it's a lot different than when you look at it as an adult especially with the acting whoo that was some bad acting in that movie but the music was fantastic Irene Cara was awesome and the ending which I'm going to play you now still is outstanding after all of these years so Wendell's World in Sports I'm out of here peace music